Welcome to Resilient Minds 365, where we discuss the resilient stories of entrepreneurs, professionals, and students with mental illnesses to encourage you to strive, thrive, and live in abundance. I'm your host, Cleone Crawford. Welcome to another episode of Resilient Minds 365. I hope you guys are having a wonderful day. I know I am. And I'm your host. It's Cleone Crawford here again. So I am here with a special guest with you, with us uh, for the show. Her name is Nilu Carr. Who is Nilu Carr? Well, (laughs) Nilu Carr is a corporate facilitator, leadership, and NLP neuro-linguistic programming coach and stress management specialist. She holds a BS from NYU Stern School of Business, an MA in social and organizational psychology from Columbia University, and is a certified NLP master practitioner and coach from the NLP Center of New York. Nilu has 15 years experience specializing in adult learning and leadership development in a large in large organizations ranging from financial services consulting to the tech industry. She's a certified yoga instructor. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And an Ericksonian trained hypnotherapist focus on bringing mindfulness and stress management practices to individuals, teams, and organizations. So with that said, I now present to you, Nilu Carr. Hi, Nilu. How are you Hi, doing? good. Thank you for having me. No problem. No problem. So tell us a little bit more about what you do and how you got started into your profession. Yeah. So a little bit about what I do. So my work is at the intersection of leadership and wellness. And so prior to COVID, a lot of, I had very separate clients. So clients in the leadership development space where I would do a lot of group, group facilitation. So it was anything around, you know, managers, managing people, fast feedback, like all of these classes that were related to leadership development. And then I had separate clients for mental health, mental well-being, and then COVID happened. And all of those clients, those large organizations that I was doing communications training and all these other leadership development trainings were like, help us because we are in the middle of a crisis and catastrophe. So, so my work has really been over the past year blended in a way that I could have never imagined. I think before COVID, it was, it was like separate worlds where I had different clients in wellness and mental health and then different clients in leadership development. And so my work looks like group led classes. And also I do a lot of individual coaching. Cool. cool. Yeah. Well, how did you get started into what you were doing? Yeah. So after my master's, I was working for a large company. And then in 2013, I I got downsized and I was doing a lot of training and coaching in that company. And I got downsized in 2013. And I thought to myself, I'm never going to have someone tell me they don't want me anymore. So I said, I have to figure out how to do this, like really figure this out on my own. And so I've done different things. I've explored different paths. And so now I am a solopreneur and I bring on people when I need them. So if I do very large engagements or very large classes, I bring on other facilitators. And then I have people that I've been coaching for a number of years. But yeah, I was really determined after I got downsized that I was not going to get downsized ever again. I can understand that. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and that. Yeah. 
Cause that was like at that time, that was like my third downsizing or maybe even fourth. I can't even remember. I've been downsized so much. And so I said, you know, this is it. Like I have to take control of my life mm-hmm. and of my mental health, because that was another thing that was really challenging. I found myself working in these organizations that just were not healthy. They were very toxic environments. Yes. Yes. They can be, you know, work, the work, uh, um, corporate culture can be quite toxic at times because of, you know, you know the peer, it's like, it's like high school all over again sometimes, you know, absolutely. Some workplaces can be just like that stressful place where there's the pressures to, to keep up. And it's just, it's just a lot for some people. You know? It is. And I think for those of us that are in underrepresented communities, it becomes even more because it's very much like in group versus out group. Uh, and I feel, I find yeah. like very cliquish dynamics. And so I know things are changing and I hope that they change in organizations. I know the organizations I work with, they're, they're, they have, you know, active measures to make it a more inclusive space. But I think, you know, over the years I have been in very toxic environments. And so I wanted to take, have more control over my life and my livelihood. Mm-hmm. And that's when I decided to figure it out on my own. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Let's do that route. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely good for your mental health. Definitely yes. Good for your mental health, which is yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, with that said, we're going to go into, we're going to deep dive into the interview about the mental health piece of your, of your life. Sure. Um, so I'd like to know what is your mental health diagnosis and when were you diagnosed? It's hmm. so interesting. When I was reading this question, I said, diagnose, I don't, I'm very big on linguistics and the way we speak to ourselves. So I don't diagnose myself and I've never diagnosed myself. So when I experience panic attacks, or anxiety, I don't say I'm an anxious person. I say I'm experiencing anxiety. Or if if someone tries to diagnose over the course of years when I did go to different therapists, it was like, oh, you're depressed. Well, no, I just am experiencing sadness. So I'm very cautious about the language I use with myself and then yet languages I use with other people. So when I did have debilitating panic attacks, I knew it was a temporary thing and eventually I would get through it. So yeah. I, I tend to not diagnose myself and I'm really... Uh, you know, an advocate for others to not label themselves as I'm anxious person, or I'm a depressed person. It's more like, no, you're experiencing this in this moment. And there's things and tools that you can do. But -hmm. I think linguistically, we, we, you know, we can be, we can have, we can be more empowered if we are not so quick to diagnose ourselves. Hmm. That's interesting. Cause they do, they do say, um, you know, there's power and power in in the tongue that, Mm -hmm you speak certain words, you're speaking life over yourself. So I guess it's by saying that you have a certain illness or whatever, it's like you're speaking it into existence. In a sense. Exactly. It's almost like, even if you are doing just fine, you have it in the background playing like this song that's always playing in the background that, oh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm anxious. No, you're not anxious. And in this moment, you may be anxious about something, but you're not an anxious person. Right. Understood. So I'm, I, and again, it doesn't work for everyone. It, for me, it has helped me. And I, when I'm coaching other people, I ask, I send, I give an invitation, like try this out and see if it makes your experience a little different. Understood. Makes sense. Makes sense. So tell us, so, so when did you first have your panic, your first panic? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's interesting because I've been on a couple of other or a few other podcasts where that was a question. I really can't remember back to when I just remember that even as a child, I've experienced a lot of anxiety. I just always felt like I didn't belong wherever I was. And so I think it started really early, but the actual memory of a panic attack was probably around 20, 
let's see, maybe 2005. Okay. Okay. So that's probably my first like adult memory of like a, a full on panic attack. Ah, I see. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So you, you said they were quite debilitating. So maybe you can walk us through your mental health story of resilience, like how you were able to transform from having, you know, panic attacks mm-hmm. debilitating and were affecting you to where you are now where mm. you're more stable. Yeah. Yeah. So at the time I just felt like I couldn't breathe. I almost felt like I was um, sinking, like almost like quicksand. Like you just can't get out of this feeling of like so much uneasiness within mm-hmm. myself. I know many people describe it very differently, but I just, I almost felt like I just couldn't breathe. Like I was like, I'm sinking and I can't breathe. And so I don't think there's one thing that works. I think it's a whole host of things and we have to, you know, use ourselves as an instrument to figure out what works. So in 2000, when this first happened, I then was referred to someone who I still am in contact with over the years, who's a therapist I work on and off with, like not a regular, I don't go to therapy every week, but every time I need to speak to someone, I have this person in my life and I've had her in my life since 2005 or four. And so I think, you know, figuring out that your network is really helpful. So who can you rely on that can help you? And then also for me, movement and somatically changing my state really helps. So whether that's me walking, because I walk a lot, I exercise a lot or yoga or different practices of Ayurveda, it's been a a learning process for myself to figure out what's the recipe or the cocktail that's going to help me. Mm-hmm. And because I've seen my mom, who's been on antidepressants for so many years, I was determined to not take medication. So I figured out holistic ways that work for me. But again, it's, it, it really depends on the individual. For those people that really feel like they need medication, absolutely. I was just, given what I've seen with my mom, I was determined to not have that happen to me. Like, I don't want it. I didn't want to go down the same path that she's gone down. Understood. Understood. Okay. So... Um, so do you currently still have, um, debilitating, um, panic attacks? Yeah, no, I actually don't, but you know, there's moments when something happens where I feel a little bit of anxiety or something's uneasy. And so I just know that I have tools to help me. So when that happens, I know what I can do. I can go out for a walk, can get some fresh air. I can practice yoga. I can take, I can use all of the breathing techniques that I use when I teach yoga and use them with myself. Right. So you have to figure out, each person has to figure out like a cocktail that works for them. And to me, I think over the years, I've realized there's not just one thing that works. Then there's no one magic pill that you're going to take and you're going to wake up and say, oh, I feel amazing. Mm-hmm. For me, it's never been that way. It's a, it's a host of things. Okay, cool, cool. So I, you did mention you have your walks, you mentioned yoga. Mm-hmm. So what are some things that you had to do to overcome or bounce back from your lowest points? Can you list everything that um, was hmm. my lowest points? So at, for first and foremost, support from people that can be supportive. So whether that looks like a therapist or a very good friend or a parent or a sibling, like whoever that is for you, I think having a support network is really important. So when I'm looking back or thinking back to some of my low, low points in life, I would absolutely say a support network and then just faith, like faith in yourself that this is a temporary situation. So a belief that this is temporary and you're going to figure it out. Like ultimately, I think we're so quick to look to external things to 
say, okay, this is going to solve this problem. But I think knowing that you have all of this wisdom within you and figuring out how do you, how do you find the tools to access that wisdom? Okay, cool, cool. So what are three things you wish you had available when you were at your lowest point? What do I wish I had available? I think I wish that I had at that time more resources. So it's been a trial and error process. So when I was going through it, I really felt like I was on my own. I didn't feel like I had the support. So it was sort of this journey that I went on. And if I could go back in time, I wish I just knew what I know now, because <laughs> then those low points wouldn't have been as low given what I know now. So the knowledge, the resources, and, and just the support network. I really felt, I really, in my lowest points, felt so felt, felt so alienated. And I think if I had that, it would have helped me get through those points quicker. Okay. So we have the, you basically, so of the three, you have the knowledge, mm -hmm. the, was it the support system? And yeah. was, what was the third one? I forgot. What was the third one? Just the faith, faith that you're going to, that it's temporary. Because right. I think when we're stuck in a place of dis-ease, it's like, we feel like this is going to last forever. So just mm -hmm. reminding yourself like, hey, this is just a temporary moment and it will pass. Okay. So what's the next question that I wanted to ask you? <laughs> um, actually, yeah. So based on your experience, what words of hope could you give to our listeners? What would you tell them? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that there is no magic pill. And unfortunately, in the society that we live in, you know, if you go to the doctor, they just want to throw a pill down your throat. And there are so many pills out there. There's so much medication. And again, I'm not saying it's not you. It's bad. If you need it, great. But there's no one magic pill that's going to make you feel better. It's an inside job. And so the, the goal is if you struggle with experiencing anxiety or feeling sadness and you don't want to feel that, then it's, it's like figuring out the cocktail that works for you. So is it movement through your body? Is it deep breathing? Is it to join an organization that gives you support? Is it to, you know, get more aligned with your spiritual practice? Like there's so many different things we can do instead of just thinking that there's one solution. Cause I don't think there's one solution. Mm -hmm. And when you had, when you would have your panic attacks, considering that you had, you also mentioned that your mother, mm -hmm. um, had, um, I guess it was anxiety attacks as well. I don't. I, I don't, yeah, I would say she's, I've, I've, I've observed some panic attacks, but I think over the course of, I would say 30 years, she has been suffering from depression, oh, depression. feelings of depression, sadness, feelings of anxiety, feelings of despair. Mm -hmm. And so she's been on like a cocktail of medications and with, with all of these medications, there's so many side effects. And because yeah. we're all so complex and individual, it's like, she might feel good for a short period of time. And then there's these long-term side effects. So having observed that over all of these years, I was like, okay, this is not, this, this is not the path for me. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So when did, so as a child, when you were going through what you were going through, mm -hmm. would you feel that you had the support to, un, for someone to understand that, um, that it wasn't temporary, that like was mental health something that was spoken of in your, in your, in your home? Um, was that, that, that yeah. <laughs> not, not at all, not at all. I think, you know, again, it, it depends on cultures There's certain cultures where it's almost like 
it's swept under the rug or it's non-existent. And I think I'm Indian. So growing up in an Indian household, it was like, you don't talk about it. It doesn't exist. Uh, it, it's just in your head. It'll go away. Of course it's in our head, but it's like, it's not just going to go away. So yeah. So no, it was not an open dialogue. And also I didn't have the language to know as a child, I didn't know what I was experiencing was anxiety. Like I didn't know because I didn't have the labels. I just knew I did not feel good. Yes. And it was only as I got older and you get older and then, you know, this is where the labels can be empowering or debilitating. Cause then if you're, if I was told early on that I had anxiety, I probably would have led a very different life. Mm -hmm. Right. But I didn't know. And so I figured it out that this is what it's called, that I'm experiencing anxiety. And so the labels can be helpful, but I also think they can be debilitating if you, if you take them on as a, an identity, like as an identity of an anxious person. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we are actually going to take a switch okay. in this interview a little bit. As you can see behind me, there are um, some books where it says The Music of My Life. Mm -hmm. And basically, that's a book about my journey with uh, mental health, um, with bipolar, and um, music therapy, and mm. how that helped me as a, as a coping mechanism. Mm. So with that said, we're going to talk about music therapy a little bit. Okay. So what type of music do you like? Okay. Yeah. So I like a lot of different uh, genres of music. I think on a daily basis, the one, I, the type I listen to the most is it's called chill electronica. It's, you know, it's on Apple, it's on Amazon. So I will just have a, I'll just tell Alexa to turn on chill, chill electronica and she just uh, lit up. <laughs> so, so the music is very just soothing, instrumental, just very calming music. That's what I, what I listen to on a regular basis. And oh. then if I want a specific, if I want to change my state in any specific way, if I want to have more energy, I might listen to music that falls under like dance or, you know, it, so it just depends on what, what, what state I'm trying to get to. Like if I need more energy, if I am exercising, then I will use more upbeat music. Right. Right. Okay. That's cool. That's cool. All right. And, and if you were to think of a song that best describes your journey, what you've gone through, mm. what would it be and why? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is such a difficult question because there's so many, there's so much music and so many songs. I think there's, there's a couple that I can think of over the course of the years. I think the one song that is just the lyrics just stand out in my mind is I will survive. And I know it's an old diva goodie, but yeah. that one, it's like always like, I just know I will survive. And so I don't even know who sings it actually. Is it's, it's yeah, I don't know. There's been, I don't know who the originator was because I think there are many artists that then took that song and did other things with it. But yeah. I always hear those lyrics. It's like, I know this is temporary. I will survive. So that's one that's kind of been through the backdrop of my life <laughs> all these years. And I think the other one that I recently came across that I just put on when I just want to, uh, changed my state. It's actually called, I, I wrote it down. It's called walk and it's by saucy Santana. I don't know if you've heard of it, Santana. but it's, no. it just makes me get up. It, and also because we're on zoom and we're seated a lot, like this song just makes me get up. Even if I'm walking around my apartment, I'm like strutting around. It just changes my state. And so, yeah. So I think music is really helpful to change your state. So depending on what you want to do, obviously when I'm teaching yoga, I'm going to use more calming music versus if I am outside, 
you know, briskly walking, I'm going to use different types of music. So I think depending on the state you want to be in, mm-hmm. the music choice is helpful for me. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. What about you? Which, what do you use to, to lift your spirits? Um, well, there's one, my favorite song is actually from Pharrell Williams. Um, happy. Um, mm-hmm. I like that song. Mm, I love that song. It really, I remember when I was going through a depression, um, I would play that. I played that song like literally for one whole month straight back just to kind of program my mind to let my, let me get to a place where I thought, okay, yes, I I'm going to be happy. I want to be happy. This is the the life that I want. You know what I mean? I was trying to reprogram my thinking because I was Mm -hmm. depressed and, um, yeah, so that's, that's one of my favorite songs, but, um, normally I like, um, I like a lot of old school, like uh, Motown, um, 80s, mm. 90s, music of the 80s and 90s, and um, and gospel music and gospel rap and gospel hip hop and stuff like that. Mm. So that's the kind of stuff I like. I like, I have a very eclectic style as well. Yeah. A lot of different types of music, but yeah, if I, I could definitely find myself listening to some like you know, Motown and 80s and 90s music. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that. Like the 90s, specifically the 90s, I love 90s music. So that just lifts my spirits. Even if I have no memory of, you know, what was going on at that time, it's just 90s music just lifts my spirits. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's a really good era. Like it's a really good time for for music around that. Mm -hmm. The music was much more, um, meaningful to me uh, I don't know the music today is not as poetic right <laughs> so that's a good that's a very good way of saying it yes. yeah I, I guess it just it doesn't have as much um yeah it's not it's not as deep it's not as deep as um the music of of, of the past you know yeah and so when that when that when I feel that happening, I just listen to the beat and I don't pay attention to the lyrics because the oh, lyrics to me are just like this is ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the beat, I'm like, oh, like this saucy Santana uh, song. I, I want you to check it out. It's the the lyrics are whatever. It's the beat. It just it lifts my moods. Okay, cool. So so when oh, I know the song Santana. Yeah, when I know that the lyrics are not resonating, I'm just like, you know what? I, maybe it's not the lyrics I want to focus on. I just want to focus on the beat, the movement, and start moving around and dancing or or whatever I need to do. Yeah. I will totally check that out right right after this. Interview. Yes. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Yeah. All right. Cool. So, Nilu, how can we stay in touch with you? What are your social media handles? Yeah. So I'm most active on LinkedIn. That's where my audience lies. So just under my name, Nilu Core, I have my website, nilucore.com. And then I'm also on Instagram and Facebook under my name. Okay, perfect, perfect. Well, thank you so very much for being a guest on our show today. Um, it was very um, enlightening. That's yes. the word for today. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. So with that said, and to all you resilient minds out there, until next time, please subscribe to us on all our, on all our platforms. And don't forget to rate the show and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Also, join the community of Resilient Minds and sign up for our our monthly newsletter at cleonicrawford.com. Be sure to grab a copy of my book, The Music of My Life, on all Amazon marketplaces to get to know me better. And if you can think of one person that will receive value from today's show or connect with Nilu's testimonial, please share it with them. 
Feel free to take a screenshot of this week's episode of the podcast and tag us on Instagram. You can tag myself at OnlyCleone or ResilientMinds365 and today's guest at Nilu Carr. Um, and remember, mental health is not a death sentence. Despite your illness, you can strive, thrive, and live a life of, of abundance. Until next time, I'm Cleone Crawford and I'm signing off. Oh, 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 oh,